Chapter Twenty One of the Lost Trail. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Mike Venditti, MikeVenditti.com. The Last Trail by Zane Gray. Chapter Twenty One. Next morning, when the mist was breaking and rolling away under the warm rays of the Indian summer sun, Jonathan Zane beached his canoe on the steep bank before Fort Henry. A pioneer, attracted by the borderman's hello, ran to the bluff and sounded the alarm with shrill whoops. Among the hurrying brown-clad figures that answered this summons was Colonel Zane. "'It's Jack, Colonel, and he's got her,' cried one. The doughty colonel gained the bluff to see his brother climbing the bank with a white-faced girl in his arms. "'Well,' he asked, looking darkly at Jonathan. Nothing kindly or genial was visible in his manner now. Rather grim and foreboding, he seemed, thus showing he had the same blood in his veins as the borderman. "'Lend me hand,' said Jonathan. "'As far as I know, she's not hurt.' They carried Helen towards Colonel Zane's cabin. Many women of the settlement saw them as they passed, and looked gravely at one another, but none spoke. This return of an abducted girl was by no means a strange event. "'Somebody run for Shepard,' ordered Colonel Zane, as they entered his cabin. Betty, who was in the sitting-room, sprang up and cried, "'Oh, Eb, Eb, don't say she's—' "'No, no, Bets, she's all right.' Where's my wife? Ah, Betts. Here, get to work. The colonel left Helen in the tender, skillful hands of his wife and sister, and followed Jonathan into the kitchen. I was just ready for breakfast when I heard someone yell, said he. Come, Jack, eat something. They ate in silence. From the sitting-room came excited whispers, a joyous cry from Betty, and a faint voice, then heavy, hurrying footsteps followed by Shepard's words of thanksgiving. "'Where's Wetzel?' began Colonel Zane. The borderman shook his head gloomily. "'Where did you leave him?' "'He jumped Leggett's bunch last night, when the moon was about an hour high. I reckon about fifteen miles northeast. I got away with the lass.' "'Ah. Left Lou fighting?' The borderman answered the question with bowed head. You got off well, not a hurt that I can see, and more than lucky to save Helen. Well, Jack, what do you think about Lou? Going back, replied Jonathan. No, no. The door opened to admit Mrs. Zane. She looked bright and cheerful. Hello, Jack. Glad you're home. Helen's all right, only faint from hunger and overexertion. I want something for her to eat. Well, you men didn't leave much. Colonel Zane went into the sitting-room. Shepard sat beside the couch where Helen lay, white and wan. Betty and Nell were looking on with their hearts in their eyes. Silas Zane was there, and his wife, with several women neighbors. "'Betty, go fetch Jack in here,' whispered the colonel in his sister's ear. "'Drag him, if you have to,' he added fiercely. The young woman left the room, to reappear directly with her brother. He came in reluctantly. As the stern-faced borderman crossed the threshold, a smile, beautiful to see, dawned in Helen's eyes. 
"'I'm glad to see you're coming round,' said Jonathan. But he spoke dully, as if his mind was on other things. "'She's a little flighty, but a night's sleep will cure that,' cried Mrs. Zane from the kitchen. "'What do you think?' interrupted the colonel. "'Jack's not satisfied to get back with Helen unharmed, and a whole skin himself, but he's going on the trail again.' "'No, Jack, no, no,' cried Betty. "'What's that I hear?' asked Mrs. Zane, as she came in. "'Jack's going out again. Well, all I want to say is that he's as mad as a March hare.' "'Jonathan, look here,' said Silas seriously. "'Can't you stay home now?' "'Jack, listen,' whispered Betty, going close to him. Not one of us ever expected to see either you or Helen again. Oh, we are so happy. Do not go away again. You're a man. You do not know. You cannot understand all a woman feels. She must sit and wait and hope and pray for the safe return of husband or brother or sweetheart. The long days, oh, the long sleepless nights, with the wail of the wind in the pines and the rain on the roof, it is maddening. Do not leave us. Do not leave me. Do not leave Helen. Say you will not, Jack. To these entreaties the borderman remained silent. He stood leaning on his rifle, a tall, dark, strangely sad and stern man. Helen, beg him to stay, implored Betty. Colonel Zane took Helen's hand and stroked it. Yes, he said. You ask him, lass. I'm sure you can persuade him to stay. Helen raised her head. Is Brent dead? she whispered faintly. Still the borderman failed to speak, but his silence was not an affirmative. You said you loved me, she cried wildly. You said you loved me, yet you didn't kill that monster? The borderman, moving quickly like a startled Indian, went out of the door. Once more Jonathan Zane entered the gloomy, quiet aisles of the forest, with his soft, tireless tread hardly stirring the leaves. It was late in the afternoon, when he had long left two islands behind, and arrived at the scene of Mordaunt's death. Satisfied with the distance he had traversed, he crawled into a thicket to rest. Daybreak found him again on the trail. He made a short cut over the ridges and by the time the mist had lifted from the valley he was within stalking distance of the glade he approached this in the familiar slow cautious manner and halted behind the big rock from which he and wetzel had leapt the wood was solemnly quiet no twittering of birds could be heard the only sign of life was a gaunt timber wolf slinking away amid the foliage under the big tree the savage who had been killed as he would have murdered helen lay a crumpled mass where he had fallen. Two dead Indians were in the center of the glade, and on the other side were three more bloody, lifeless forms. Wetzel was not there, nor Leggett, nor Brant. I reckon so, muttered Jonathan as he studied the scene. The grass had been trampled, the trees barked, the bushes crushed aside. Jonathan went out of the glade a short distance, and, circling it, began to look for Wetzel's trail. He found it, and near the light footprints of his comrade were the great, broad moccasin tracks of the outlaw. Further searching disclosed the fact that Brant must have traveled in line with the others. 
with the certainty that Wetzel had killed three of the Indians, and in some wonderful manner characteristic of him, routed the outlaws of whom he was now in pursuit, Jonathan's smoldering emotion burst forth into full flame, love for his old comrade, deadly hate of the outlaws, and passionate thirst for their blood, rioted in his heart. Like a lynx scenting its quarry, the borderman started on the trail, tireless and unswervable. The traces left by the fleeting outlaws and their pursuer were plain to Jonathan. It was not necessary for him to stop. Leggett and Brant, seeking to escape the implacable nemesis, were traveling with all possible speed, regardless of the broad trail. Such hurried movements left behind. They knew full well it would be difficult to throw this wolf off the scent understood that if any attempt was made to ambush the trail, they must cope with woodcraft keener than an Indian's. Flying in desperation, they hoped to reach the rocky retreat where, like foxes in their burrows, they believed themselves safe. When the sun sloped low toward the western horizon, lengthening Jonathan's shadow, he slackened pace. He was entering the rocky, rugged country which marked the approach to the distant Alleghenies, from the top of a ridge he took his bearings, deciding that he was within a few miles of Leggett's hiding-place. At the foot of this ridge, where a murmuring brook sped swiftly over its bed, he halted. Here a number of horses had forded the brook. They were iron-shod, which indicated almost to a certainty that they were stolen horses and in the hands of Indians. Jonathan saw where the trail of the steeds was merged into that of the outlaws. He suspected that the Indians and Leggett had held a short council. As he advanced, the borderman found only the faintest impression of Wetzel's trail. Leggett and Brant no longer left any token of their course. They were riding the horses. All the borderman cared to know was if Wetzel still pursued. He passed on swiftly up a hill through a wood of birches, where the trail showed on a line of broken ferns. Then out upon a low ridge, where patches of grass grew sparsely, here he saw in this last ground no indication of his comrade's trail. Nothing was to be seen save the imprints of the horse's hoofs. Jonathan halted behind the nearest underbrush. This sudden move on the part of Wetzel was token that, suspecting an ambush, he had made a detour somewhere probably in the grove of birches. All the while his eyes searched the long barren reach ahead. No thicket, fallen tree, or splintered rocks, such as Indians utilized for an ambush, could be seen. Indians always sought the densely matted underbrush, a windfall, or rocky retreat, and there awaited a pursuer. It was one of the borderman's tricks of woodcraft that he could recognize such places. Far beyond the sandy ridge, Jonathan came to a sloping wooded hillside, upon which were scattered big rocks, some mossy and lichen-covered, and one a giant boulder with a crown of ferns and laurel gracing its flat surface. It was such a place as the savages would select for ambush. He knew, however, that if an Indian had hidden himself there, Wetzel would have discovered him when, opposite the rock, Jonathan saw a broken fern hanging over the edge. The heavy trail of the horses ran close beside it. Then, with that thoroughness of search which made the borderman what he was, Jonathan leapt upon the rock. There, lying in the midst of the fern, lay an Indian, with sullen, somber face, 
set in the repose of death. In his side was a small bullet hole. Jonathan examined the savage's rifle. It had been discharged. The rock, the broken fern, the dead Indian, the discharged rifle, told the story of that woodland tragedy. Wetzel had discovered the ambush. Leaving the trail, he had tricked the redskin into firing, then getting a glimpse of the Indian's red body through the sights of his fatal weapon. The deed was done. With greater caution, Jonathan advanced once more. Not far beyond the rock he found Wetzel's trail. The afternoon was drawing to a close. He could not travel much further. Yet he kept on, hoping to overtake his comrade before darkness set in. From time to time he whistled, but got no answering signal. When the tracks of the horses were nearly hidden by the gathering dusk, Jonathan decided to halt for the night. He whistled one more note, louder and clearer, and awaited the result with strained ears. The deep silence of the wilderness prevailed, suddenly to be broken by a faint, faraway, melancholy call of the hermit thrush. It was the answering signal the borderman had hoped to hear. Not many moments elapsed before he heard another call, low and near at hand, to which he replied. The bushes parted noiselessly on his left, and the tall form of Wetzel appeared silently out of the gloom. The two gripped hands in silence. "'Have you any meat?' Wetzel asked, and as Jonathan handed him his knapsack, he continued, "'I was kind of looking for you. Did you get out all right with the lass? Nary a scratch.' The giant borderman grunted his satisfaction. "'How'd Leggett and Brant get away?' asked Jonathan. "'Cut and run like scared bucks. Never got a hand on either of them. How many redskins did they meet back here a spell?' They were seven, but now they're only six, and all snug in Leggett's place by this time. I reckon we're near his den, or not far off. Night soon closing down upon the bordermen found them wrapped in slumber, as if no deadly foes were near at hand. The soft night wind sighed dismally along the bare trees. A few bright stars twinkled overhead. In the darkness of the forest, the bordermen were at home. End of chapter 21